right, this morning we're just going to trust God, and I'm going to do it with you. So we're just going to read from, uh, again, we left off uh, about, you know, in Judges 21, 25. And it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. He didn't, the people didn't have a godly ruler, and so they did what was right in their own eyes. I believe the next one is 17 in verse 6, and it is. Okay. So in Isaiah, yeah, sure. In Judges 17 in verse 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we left off with that, and there's one more place that I can't think of where it's there. But there were four places in the book of Judges where it was said that there was no king. And when there was no, when there was no king, God would raise up judges. But he wouldn't raise them up uh, until the people would be brought to a place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. Then, and then, re, then confess and repent and turn to God. And then he would raise up a judge and he would protect them. And that's what his love does uh, through grace, through the grace and truth that Christ is. And that's what he does with us today. And so when we, when we think about these things and when we see them in, in this way, they're a very, very beautiful thing to, to understand. And we said before that as long as as long as the judge was living, that godly judge, right? And, and judge, what it's talking about is, is God was ruling and reigning through this individual over the people. He was ruling and, and reigning over the individual, obviously. And when he was, then he could rule. It would be God ruling and reigning over the people. As long as the judge lived. But if the judge died, then that then the, if he were dead, and that's what Christ can be to us in the flesh, is <laughs> when he's dead, then we begin to do things that are right in our own eyes. Well, and we've said before, and we'll all do this, every one of us, because we have the flesh in us in Romans 8, 9, even though we're not of it, we're of Christ. But when that happens, then then we'll do what is right in our own eyes, and we'll privately interpret the scriptures through an unsubmitted will in Second Peter 1. At 20 and 21, and we'll see this morning. And I, I was seeing it in a very, <laughs> a very pure and counseling way of God towards me. How the flesh in me obscures the very light of the treasure that Christ is in me as a vessel. That's why Paul said in First Corinthians 3 and verse 21, "We don't glory in men, fleshly men, obviously." That's why we don't have a need for any man to teach us, but we need the Holy Spirit to do it in 1 John 2, 27. Because God, through receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, has given us the Holy Spirit in 1 John 2, 20. And he's, he's the unction. He, he's the one that takes the written word and makes it a living force, a life-giving force in us by taking the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and showing them unto us. Otherwise, we do what things that are right in our own eyes, our own understanding. And that's why Jesus said that all of us, in Matthew 6 and verse 19, we all need to store up treasures. Where moth, and what does a moth do? It just eats away. That's what a moth does at a garment. And that's what the flesh can do experientially. The Christ in the experience, of course, can't touch the position, but and then rust does corrupt. And what is rust? Rust corrupting would just be the flesh. It just corrupts it, and uh, so that's why he said in six nineteen and twenty and, and twenty one. He said in twenty one, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart, your mind, <laughs> your your understanding. So where your treasure is, there will your heart, again, your mind, be also. Then he said, if your eye be single, in 621, if your eye is single, 
Christ is our only vision, our only viewpoint. God's only viewpoint is Christ, by the way. And thank God that in Job 36 and verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. That's positional truth. But he has to bring it into our experience. And that's the thing that he has to separate the flesh. When it says in Hebrews 4, 12, uh, the word of the Lord is living and powerful. It's very powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It says piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul. The soul is where the will is not submitted. It, 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 the flesh is active and it obscures. It obscures the Holy Spirit from getting hold of the human spirit. And God gave us, uh, unlike the animals, the animals are dichotomous beings. We were created in God's image in Genesis 1 at 26 and 27. And in Genesis uh, chapter 5, 1 and 2, we were created in his image. And God is spirit in John 4 and verse 24. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's where the Holy Spirit is now free to give to the human spirit what is, what is the individual's Christ being in them, the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So if our eye be single in Matthew 6 and verse 21, our whole body will be filled with light. Light. But then it says in, in 23, but if your eye be evil, uh, your whole body will be filled with darkness. That's 622. 623 says of Matthew, and if the light that be in you be darkness. You see, that's fleshly interpretation. God, what it does. And we'll see, as, as I was shown this morning and as God's going to show me and all of us again, I believe in a greater way because when we come together, it's very interesting that as we come together, and it's what makes it necessary in Hebrews 10, verse 25, to come together, assemble together, because God will do for each individual. When each of us come, he's going to do something specifically in us each of us. And what he does in another, still it becomes for my sake. Even a correction, even correction in another individual is for our sake. It is. And that's a very, very beautiful thing. So when we get into the book of Judges, we see Samuel hasn't come on the scene yet. There hasn't been a prophet yet. Samuel's not there yet. Joshua is dead long. And when we talk about this, there were approximately a three to four hundred year period of these judges. Joshua is long gone. He led them into the promised land. Now, it's like us. We're in the promised land. But when Christ is not our leader, when he's not our judge, when we don't submit to him, we just go right back to the flesh and we interpret everything. We interpret God through the flesh. And we interpret each other. And that's just moth. That's a moth that just consumes the garment. And, and that's rust. And, and, and it says in Isaiah 1 and verse 22, your, your silver is tarnished. The silver becomes tarnished. Redemption. I think it's very interesting. Uh, even when it talks about uh, during the Bema Seat, and remember the Bema Seat is not a... For, it's only for believers, those that are in Christ, where they meet Christ, and they're on their way to the, to the marriage supper, Revelations 19, 9, uh, 7, and 9. But they're on their way where in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and in Romans 14, 10 to 12, we're going to this evaluation seat. And then it says, the, what the fire will do is it purifies and brings out the gold and the silver and the precious stones. I never saw it this way, so God counseled me and gave me the word this morning. Just had me open up the little green Bible and just, just took me through it. You see, the gold is the Son of God. The Son of God. Silver is the fact that he put on humanity so that he could redeem us. So silver and gold there is the God-man. It's the person of Jesus Christ 
and who, who he is in his person, what he's accomplished. And then it says the precious stones there and all the precious stones are the fruit of the Holy Spirit bringing out all that that Christ is and, and was and is in his person and what he's accomplished, but bringing it out in each individual in a very incredible way. And so the enemy can't do anything about opposition, so he has to go after our experience. And the way that he goes after the individual's experience is what is known in the scriptures, and we will see this today. Why did men do what was right in their own sight, in their own eyes? Because they didn't have the eye of God, which is Jesus Christ. They didn't have rulership. They didn't have a master. And so that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 and verse 23. He said, if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? And is it, is it light? Is it Christ? It's not. So it's an unsaved condition, or it's the flesh that is still in the Christian, but that we're not of. <laughs> and God is constantly teaching us that, constantly bringing us out experientially into a proper position, a proper place, and a proper image. And he's constantly doing that. So he said, if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now we know that the enemy in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, he's an angel of light. But is it light? No. It's darkness. And God wants us to see together this morning what can happen what happens when we function in the flesh and not in Christ? Because that's the darkness. And we'll see how this is brought out. So they all did that. They didn't, back in Judges, they didn't have Joshua anymore. And they still hadn't had yet Samuel. Samuel. And as long as the judge was living, they prospered. <laughs> as long as they had a proper ruler, they prospered. And this is what a third John 2 is bringing out. I, I wish, I wish that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. <laughs> and the soul prospers when the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, takes the things of Christ and separates that in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. There's got to be this separating, sanctifying growth in grace, which is a process in John 17 and verse 17. So if it's not grace, if it's not Christ, then it's not love flowing through it. And then where does that leave us? Still doing what is right in our own eyes. Would we do that? We do. And the way that we do it is in the flesh. And we interpret Christ, God, the word, each other through the flesh. And that is going back. When we, go, we enter into the flesh again, we go back to the hard taskmaster again. We're functioning experientially under the enemy. And he's a hard taskmaster, very hard. And so again, this is bringing out these beautiful truths. And this is what Jesus was saying. And this is what he was counseling me with this morning. And I, I love it when, he, when he's allowed to counsel us. When we submit our will, then we allow him to counsel us with his love that flows through grace so that we can experience the truth of who Christ is in us when we do that. And that's why he constantly needs to humble us in 1 Peter 5, 6 and in James 4 and verse 6. He needs to constantly humble us. Because if that's not happened, if there's not a separation from the soul, from the spirit, we're not worshiping we're not worshiping Christ and being thankful. See, worship is an expression of unbelievable thanks. And God is, is, God is seeking worshipers, it says in John 4 and verse 23. He seeks true worshipers. And then 424 of John, God is, God is spirit. That's what it says. It doesn't even say God is spirit. And they that worship him must. And the must there is John 3.30. He must increase but I must decrease. And there's where the separating sword of the Spirit, Hebrews 4, verse 12, does this separating, this beautiful thing in us. And so, but if that doesn't happen, and Jesus was teaching 
this way back here. And there's three places, again, in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we'll see them, each of them this morning. And this is what the flesh does. When we give place to the flesh, we give up our place in Christ, and that place is the place of the enemy in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Give no place to the devil. Really, it's saying don't give up your place to him. That's why 4.26 says this, and God was bringing this out in such a beautiful way to me and counseling me. In Ephesians 4 and verse 26, it, said, it says, be angry and sin not. What is God's anger? It's not, the, it's not the anger of the flesh. It never is that. No, no. It's, that's holy wrath. That's holy love with justice met in Christ that we can present. Because if not, then it's the flesh. And then we become the judge. We allow the enemy to be a hard taskmaster to us and interpret the scriptures and make a complete difference between us and others. And so in Matthew, the fifth chapter, we can see, and you can follow that down through, but it says this in, in Matthew 5 and verse 13, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. Now, eventually, this will happen, but not till millennial reign, the kingdom age. That won't happen for the Jews as a nation, but we can glean from this. Do we, do we remember, and do I remember with you, in Ezra 7 and verse 22, in terms of the sacrifice and the preparation of that sacrifice, everything was measured precisely, meaning it, it was the measure of Christ himself that, that could propitiate the Father, thus be a substitute for us, and function reconciled. And so the only thing that wasn't measured, they said, without measuring, was salt. And salt speaks of the wisdom of God's love in Colossians 4 and verse 5. And that's why it says in Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your speech, your communication, your thought life be seasoned with grace. <laughs> it has Grace has nothing to do with the flesh. Not a single thing. The flesh in me, the flesh in any of us, will completely do away with that grace. Will completely, and that's Christ. Takes the place of Christ. You were the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith will it would be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing. And that's the flesh. The nothing here is what Jesus was saying. He said, it's the spirit that, that enlivens. It is the spirit that brings life. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you are spirit, Holy Spirit, and they are life. Christ in Colossians 3, 4 is our life. That eternal life that we have in 1 John 5, 11, the treasure that's in the vessel. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, and God forbid that that weak, frail vessel submits to the flesh and obscures and darkens the beauty of Christ in us as individuals. And then do we become this? Well, it is not good for anything. That's what the Holy Spirit was teaching Paul constantly, and as he has to teach us, that the flesh, I know in me, he says, in me, that I'm not of. Now, how to interpret Romans 7, 18 is Romans 8, 9. I know, false, that in me, that is my flesh, dwells what? No good thing. There's no good in it. There's no good in it. There's no good in it. Because in the flesh, in 721 of Romans, I find then that a law, you know, that I'm helpless. I can't do it. Constant struggle. A constant struggle. I cannot do it. I can't do it at all. We see that in Romans 7, 13, and 14, right down to 18, right down to 21. And we see what is the flesh always what does the enemy always bring the flesh back to? With a captured will in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 26, he always uses 
the flesh and sin is to even oppose ourselves in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 25. And then he can use us to oppose others. Oh boy, terrible, terrible. It would be good for nothing but to be cast out. Boy, he likes to do that. Doesn't he like to deceive us? You know, the enemy can deceive us through the flesh. Then he can, he, he can accuse us and make us an accuser of those that are in Christ. In Revelations 12, 10. No, you're cast out to be trodden under the foot of men. Who is that? That's the pride of men. That's like the Pharisees in Matthew 23. We all have a Pharisee in the flesh. We can be sure of that. But it's, we're not of that anymore. We're not of it. Well, be trodden under the foot of men. That's what the flesh will do. It will take the things of Christ and use it to trod underfoot those that are Christ. You want to talk about some deception and some insanity and some bondage. Well, he says this, you are the light of the world. Now, obviously, this is going to happen during millennial reign for the Jews as a nation, but we have the light of Christ in us. That's the day that dawns in us when we finally understand experientially who Christ is and his person in us and the work that he's accomplished for us and finished it. That's 2 uh, Peter 1 and verse 19. The day dawns. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the day. We have the day star. He's, he, he's lit us up already. He's lit us up. But see, in 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now, obviously, in the future, this is going to be Jerusalem, where Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, and all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them were forecasting this to happen as a fact in God's eternal mind in the future. And that was going to happen. But then he said this in 5.15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. What is a bushel? I wrote it down. What is the bushel? It's the flesh. It's, it's the flesh. It's a bushel. And you know what it does? You put it under a bushel, and what do you do in yourself? You put out the candlestick. What is the candlestick? Candlestick in Proverbs 20, 27, it says, The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts. And this is what makes it necessary in Hebrews 4, 12, to have the soul separated from the spirit. So that you're not, and I'm not, interpreting the word through the flesh or become a fleshly interpreter of it. It needs to be this separating, sanctifying process. You don't put it on a candlestick, but it gives light unto all that are in the house. That's what it does. It gives light unto everybody. And that's what Paul was saying. He had a cleansed conscience. In Acts 24 and verse 16, he said, I, I want to have a conscience that's clear and pure before God first and before men have a cleansed conscience, not a defiled conscience. What defiles our conscience? In Titus 1 and verse 15, and does away and obscures the purity of who Christ is in, is in us as a vessel. It's the flesh. Boy, the enemy wants to put that bushel on Christ in us. And boy, I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but I've never been, up to this point in my growth, never been more glad for this counsel and this truth and this separating process in me. But you put it on a candlestick, on a lamp, that all are in the house. You see, the lamp is the capacity that we have. It's who we are in Christ, but you need oil. Not a candlestick. Candles like we think of them. No, it's a lamp that needs oil, and that oil is the Holy Spirit. And that's where the Holy Spirit, he's that unction in 1 John 2.20. He's given us that. And it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. When it's right, when the word is rightly divided in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, he shows us that you are indeed his children. 
in Romans 8 and verse 16. And it's the Holy Spirit that is that anointing in 1 John 2 and in verse 27. The anointing is not the flesh worked up, trying to do something to prove Christ to self and to others. It is the Holy Spirit. And the anointing is the proper and only proper expression of Christ and who he is and his person in the individual and the work that he's accomplished. But then it shines out. And then the whole house, whoever you come in contact with, is lit up. And that's where in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 to 6, we become his written epistles. It says, known and read of all men. We don't put it under a bushel. Under the bushel. And you know what happens when I function in the flesh? This is where the enemy has brought out all these denominations to separate the church. And what is known as party spirits. 1 Corinthians 1.12. Some say I am of Paul. Some say I am of Paulus. Some say I am of Cephas or Cephas. And some say I am of Christ. 1.13. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided since since when is one individual that's been positioned in Christ become our enemy? Never. Never. But party spirits can be formed. And this is, this is how they're formed. And the enemy does it through the flesh and cause all these, all these different denominations to separate and divide the church. It's because his kingdom, Satan's kingdom, meaning his rule, is based upon that. And we can see that very, very clearly, very clearly in the scriptures. So we see it here again. Let your light shine before men. We see that very clearly. And that they may see your good works. Here, here again, we don't, we're not to put it under a bushel, but on, on a candlestick. And that's our human spirit, separated from the soul. Now I'm God conscious, meaning I can function in who Christ is in me as an individual. I become his very person. I become. And we're going to see this here again. The bushel, remember, can be the flesh. And then I start party spirits. You know what I mean? You know what that means? That I'm going to accept those that accept me in the flesh and exclude all those others that don't. They, they're not as important. One member in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and Ephesians 5, 30. We're all members. But we cut them off. We cut off the life from flowing to all the members through the flesh. That's what happens. We, we are cut off. And then we can see this again in Mark. Well, And then we, uh, I wrote this down here in my little Bible about the light. What does light do to the what does light do to the darkness every single time? Which is more powerful, darkness or light? We see that in Genesis the first chapter, verses three to thirty-one. What does light do to darkness? It completely does away with it. So now we can understand Matthew six and verse twenty-three. If the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? We see the enemy is a counterfeit, and what's the counterfeit? Of who Christ is in me, it's the flesh. That's what it is. And fleshly interpretation of Christ. First for self in pride and then over others. Well, then we see this in Mark, the fourth chapter. And it's very interesting how God brings out the, what, the fullness of what the bushel is with these uh, three different scriptures. And that's why they don't contradict each other. The flesh will, will make that. The flesh literally is that, that uh, contradiction, becomes that contradiction. So here we are in Mark, the fourth chapter, Mark chapter four, again, and verse 21, and he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel? Very interesting. Well, who would bring us if Christ doesn't? The enemy. Through the flesh. It is a candle brought to be put under a bushel. No. Well, who does that? Or it says under a bed. 
and not to be set on a candlestick. This is truth coming in through our human spirit. Human spirit takes precedence over the soul. And then in that way, all the lusts of the physical body are not actuated, which is Matthew 15, 16 to 20, and Mark 7, 14 to 23, and Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Well, this is what it says. Under a bushel. Now, what is, in this sense, the flesh, the bushel, what does that represent? What this word represents in the original Koine Greek means it's always a less measure. You make something less of Christ through the flesh. You make something less of his person and the work that he's accomplished for individuals. You put it under a bushel. That's what a bushel is here. That's literally what that word means in the original Koine Greek. And then it says under a bed. Under a bed. I don't know about you, but if you have a nice bed and it's just right for you, it could be purple, it could be a beauty red, or it could be another one in the future. <laughs> could be. But I don't know about you, but if you have a comfortable bed, you want to sleep under it? No. Now this brings out, as the Holy Spirit again did to me this morning, what is the bed? And he reminded me again, what is the bed? Well, this is what Isaiah, the prophet, was teaching. He was saying this in Isaiah 28, 20. For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on. If the bed doesn't fit, then what do you do? You, you end up sleeping under it. Flesh always falls short. It has no way to measure Christ in us as a vessel. And no way to give out that measurement to others. The whole time, it just doesn't. So the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on. And the covering, narrow, than he can wrap himself in. And this goes back, way back, to Genesis 3, 7 to 15. With what, with what Adam and Eve covered themselves, was it enough to hide it from the sight of God? And oh, how the flesh. Oh, God. What a lesson to be learned. No longer do I want to do what is right in my own eyes. No longer do I want to measure myself. I never mind myself. Measure God first and myself or anyone else in Christ ever again by the flesh. Never again. Never again. And so what we see again here is what is brought out is that's what it is teaching us in Mark 4 and, and verse 21 and the correlation, bringing out what the what the bushel is, and how the enemy uses it. How he uses it. In 4 again, in 421, as we were just reading. But no, no. He set. And you can see this in Revelations, the first chapter, and the second chapter, and the third chapter. Christ is the light. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. You know how the enemy wants to give the flesh all kinds of things that obscure Christ, that he causes us to go after. Somehow, somehow in some way that they can replace him. And of course, as I have found out and going to learn continually by grace, without accusation or condemnation, he's irreplaceable. He's irreplaceable. I mean, there's no way to replace Christ in us other than the flesh and being deceived in Revelation 12, 9. And then if I'm deceived and the flesh will deceive me, that I now have a right to accuse others. Oh, my God. It's so wrong. Now, this is Luke 11. Luke 11. Verse 33. It says, No man, when he has lighted a candle, puts it in a secret place. Oh, boy. You know what a secret place is? It's the flesh. Secret areas of pride. Areas 
where I esteem myself and put myself even over Christ in the word, over the body, overcoming to hear the word. I esteem, I don't need it. I esteem myself above it. It's a secret place. Well, is there really any secret place where the eyes of the Lord aren't in Psalm 90 and verse 8, in Jeremiah 23 and verse 24, and in Proverbs 5 and verse 21? Is there any secret place? Does God know everything in 1 John 3.20? You know what that says for us? He knows who we are in Christ, and he will not be satisfied until, until I function in the image that Christ is in me. And then I become that light. That's what he was telling Timothy. He told him in second, uh, I believe it's Second Timothy 1.6. If not, it's First Timothy 1.6. Neglect not the gift that's in you. Don't neglect it. That's Christ in us, the treasure. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Let me tell you, first and foremost, that's not what you do. That's who Christ is in you and me. Period. Then when he is that gift and that treasure, then that can come out but he has to break the vessel. He has to break the vessel. And the flesh doesn't want that piercing, penetrating life of Christ to penetrate us through us, through the Holy Spirit. Again, that's Hebrews 4 and verse 12. But if I don't have that, then I go into spiritual warfare. The battle becomes mine in the flesh and everyone else's flesh I battle. In Ephesians 6, 10, right up to 17, and I no longer take the sword of the Spirit. Meaning, that's submission. Oh, I gladly take the counsel, Lord. I'm gladly want, I gladly want to have the counsel now. I want to be separate. I want the flesh to be separated from me so that Christ, I can function in the purity of who Christ is. This brings in Philippians 4 and verse 8 and Titus 1 and verse 15, the purity there. And that he can flow in me and then he can flow out of me to others. And so here, no man, in Luke eleven thirty three, when he has lit, lit a candle, puts it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. They may see the light. And again, that's what he was, he's teaching us. And then it goes on, the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is single, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Verse 35, take heed, therefore, that the light which is in you be not obscured to the darkness of the flesh. If your whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part of the dark, the enemy, and that's how he functions, by the way. The enemy functions in the dark. He calls it light, but it's evil. The whole will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle does give the light. Again here, as this is brought out and how God brought it out, was bringing it out here in 1 John 2 and verse 8. As we begin to wrap this up this morning. In 1 John 2 and verse 8, it says this. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. Now the new commandment, is the love that Christ is for us in John 13, verse 1. Having loved his own, he loves them unto the end of their eternal future. And then the new commandment is 34 and 35. I've loved you now. Love each other. Love each other. So again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true, true in him, true, and in you. This is Christ in us. Because the darkness is past. And the true light now shines in us as vessels and then shines out. And what John is teaching here is what he learned and received through the very voice of his shepherd, and our shepherd, of course, in John 10, 3, 14, and 27. He learned and received the proper tone and voice of Christ as teacher. He was always... He was always gentle and humble. He was always gentle and patient, always. And that's what it takes. It takes the patience of God's love for, to teach us. And some of us know that in a greater way because we've lived a, a little bit longer than some. 
but we know it in a greater way. Thank God that we can know it. And that's why if the tone isn't right, the voice is wrong. And this is 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 12. There are many voices in the world. <laughs> you know, just like, unfortunately, there are many denominations, those teaching Christ differently through the obscurity and bushel of the flesh. And then when you teach the flesh, you're teaching others to submit to the flesh and not Christ. And so that's what it says here. But they have, but we're to hear Jesus' voice. And that's what John was saying. He always heard that. You know, Peter, James, and John, those were guys. You know, James and John, they were sons of thunder. They had violent tempers in the flesh. But boy, in John 13, 23, John found his proper place, was laying on the very heartbeat of Christ. And we've said before, as God expressed to me a long time ago, that every heartbeat where John laid his head on his breast, and there's room for everybody, not just John. It's the flesh that keeps us out of there experientially. But every heartbeat was, I love you. I love you. And so that did away with the fleshly temper and the flesh that, that can be in us uh, that we're no longer of in Romans 8 and verse 9. And so his, his very heart, Christ's very heart was expressed to John in a very tender way towards John and towards his people. And it was this. John was now, like us, through submission, we now adopt Jesus' tone. His tone. It's affectionate. And it's deep and personal love for those that are his, each member of the body, those that are his. And so that's why it says the we, uh, uh, right commandment, you know, that we write unto you, the we here is like formal, it's positional truth. The we. In First John, the fourth chapter, where it says we, and up into the second chapter here, where it says we. But now we pass from just positional declaring things in the flesh, but not experiencing them. It passes from the formal into the truth of a proper experience in us. And then we love them like we're loved. You know, we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. And the tone that he was speaking was, they're my dearly beloved children. They're my technias. They're my, my dearly ones. And John was remembering how his master spoke and it communicated to him and through him to others. He was gentle and patient. But that takes a yoke in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. There's no other way, and I wrote it down God, yesterday, and God bringing it out even clearer to me today. There's no other way of, of growing in truth and grace and learning apart from Jesus Christ. And, he, and the light comes and does away with the obscurity of the flesh in us. No, it is a loving convicting warning. That's what 1 John 2, 8 here is. It's a loving, convicting warning. Why? Because this is what I found out to be true. That the flesh is a cruel and hard taskmaster. It's cruel. Very cruel. But thank God for his loving counsel, his loving conviction, his loving warning is to discourage, not to discourage us. Listen, he's not bringing these truths out. The flesh will bring them out to condemn those that are in Christ. But God, God through, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would never do that. He never does that. Never does it. He, he's not bringing out this, the conviction of his love to discourage us in the pursuit of holiness, experiencing who we are in Christ. You see, Holiness is a proper experience. Flesh has nothing to do with it. Or to, he doesn't tell us these things to keep us in sin. Because when flesh battles flesh, it just keeps that in anger and keeps them in sin. Neither case is brought out here. But in order, in order, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, it's in order so that we're not confused that you may not sin. 
that we may not sin. Brought this out the other day, and I'm going to bring it out here as we close. I think this is three strikes in the mouth. The doctor says to the, to the patient, to his patients, he says this, your trouble, and where do we have trouble? It's in the flesh. Your trouble is obstinate. It's rebellious and stubborn and unchangeable. And 1 Samuel 15, 23, you and I can't do a thing about it. We have to submit to the sword of the Spirit. When we cannot do it, we have to be humbled and come and receive something we don't deserve. Again, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. The doctor says, listen, your trouble is obstinate. What's that mean? It is unchangeable. Flesh is unchangeable. So was it crucified positionally in Romans 6, 1 to 6? The poison, what is the poison? The poison here, okay, the flesh has been dealt with us. The intrinsic evil, kakos, and the poison of the flesh in each of us prior to Christ, which is poneros, in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, because the days are evil, it's poneros. It's evil, an act of opposition to God's divine good, and he wants to bring us back to the flesh in that area again, experientially. But the doctor, our physician, says the poison is in your blood. It's in your blood, your nature, your flesh. And it will take a long time. Boy, do I know that. It'll take a long time to eradicate it. Oh, how he waits to be gracious in Isaiah 30 and verse 18. But he doesn't tell us that. He never did tell me this one time. But I don't tell you this to discourage you or to make you careless. No. On the contrary, to make you watchful for yourself and others. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Quit you like men. Be strong. Watch. Watch. That's prayer. That's prayer. We have no idea the subtlety of the flesh. Genesis 3, 1. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. We have no idea we need to give ourselves in prayer. In Acts 6, verse 4 so that the word can be ministered to us and God can light up our candle, the Holy Spirit, our lamp, uh, light up Christ in us. It takes oil, though, the anointing oil. I don't tell you this, but to make you watchful and diligent in the use of the remedy. If, however, we fall into sin, oh, I love this. Boy, this was freeing to me. If, however, me, I, or any of us fall into sin. God wants us to know. He wants to let us know not to lose heart. Don't fear. Give in to fear. Don't quit. Don't give in to anger. Don't get into bitterness. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly your paraclete. Constantly calling you to his side so he can reveal Christ in you. One call to your side. One who undertakes and champions your cause that you can do nothing about. Not a single thing about. You know, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Potentially for the whole world. But for the whole, but for us as individuals. Boy, I tell you. Then we don't have to live with the enemy condemning us the whole time, keeping us in bondage to sin in Romans uh, in, in John 8, 34, constantly keeping us in, in bondage and constantly accusing us, but still keeping us prisoner there and making us pretend that we're loved in Revelations 12, 9, to be a pretender in our experience. No. This, he want, he's telling us this truth and giving us this counsel so that that doesn't happen in us, that the enemy can't, we don't give up our place. We don't give place to Satan's voice. And he, so he can convince us, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You know what? You're nothing. You're nothing. And you know what? In 1 Corinthians 13, too, if he convinces us through the flesh that we're nothing, what profit do we have? In 13.3 of 1 Corinthians, no profit. I wish above all things 
that you may prosper, profit and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Third John 2. Third John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my dearly beloved technically walk in truth, that they walk there. And so we have, we have this tremendous truth. We have this holy, because the Holy Spirit has come. He's come as one in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and he still performs the office, the place of God's advocate with men. We have two. We have Christ in heaven intercedes in Romans 8, 34. In Hebrews 7, 25 and Hebrews 9, 26, and we have the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, and verse 26. And when we finally submit to him, when we get to the place, particular areas of growth, where we're, with the flesh we realize there's no help and there's no hope in it. A wretched man that I am. Is that who we are in Romans 7, verse 24? No. But he, when he finally brings us to that place to submit, when he finally does, then the enemy can't touch me anymore. He can't touch my position. In 1 John 5, 19, he can't touch it, but no longer can he touch my experience. And when he can't, then God lights me up and he can use me as salt, as light. And no longer do we want to function uh, with a bushel because we have two comforters, one in heaven and one on earth. And we, need, and we will need both forever. We need it on the earth and we go to heaven and we still need him to reveal to us, but there won't be an obscurity of the flesh. There will never be that again. And that's why in 1 John 4, 10, the hearing is love. Not that we love them, but that he loved us. And then hopefully we learn to grow, not to leave our first love in Revelations 2, 4, and allow another authority, which is the bushel, which is the flesh, to come in and exercise authority over us and over others. No, the advocacy of Christ doesn't cease. He is our advocate in heaven, and he pleads our cause. And it's answered instantly by God the Father, constantly, constantly. And he's with us, and never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.